At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. The Chamber of Secrets has been opened, and from it emerges a brand new episode of The Cryptic Keeper. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Alex isn't here to do the intro. Um, I have never, this has never happened before. Which intro? Welcome to the Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. I'm Alex Flanick. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Madison Beacock, and I'm a host. <laughs> so Alex is uh, away this week, off in the mountains of West Virginia, uh, teaching children how to music. And so for this week as a special treat, and also so that we would actually still have an episode, uh, I have brought with me onto the show two previous guest hosts, and I would love you guys to introduce yourselves, please. I'm Jess. I'm Andrew. Andrew appeared on our very first two episodes of the podcast, and Andrew and Jess both graced us with their presence on the Kelpie episode. So you may remember uh, Andrew as being, uh, as we said, from your dreams, and you may remember Jess as being our resident horse whisperer. Yes? Sure. Sure. Let's go with that. A resident horse whisperer. It works. I like <laughs> it. Um, so I'm the keeper of this week's cryptid. Uh, as is dictated by the rules, and also because, again, Alex isn't here, so there are no rules anymore. The wheels are off this bus. So, <laughs> the cryptid this week... <laughs> the cryptid this week is one that I had a lot of fun researching because it's one that I already had some preconceived notions about because it earned itself a very uh, hefty place in the pop culture canon because of one Miss J.K. Rowling. So that is that we are covering this week... The Basilisk. Whoa. That's Very what's sneaky. up. Mm-hmm. Jess has brought along a resource for us. Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about this book you brought along? You don't have to dive into like the Basilisk stuff just yet if you don't want, but uh, tell a little bit about the book. Yeah, so I am your local kind of animist pagan weirdo. And I, I have this book that I love, and it is called Animal Frequency, and it is by Melissa Alvarez. And I was, I use it whenever I see an animal usually out in the wild somewhere that I want to look up. I want to understand what that animal is about. And so it gives you a little bit of scientific stuff, but then it's also this like weird stuff that I love about what that animal um, is telling you when it appears to you and what it can help you with. So what is the frequency of like the guinea pig? I'm thinking like 18,000 hertz. Right up there. <laughs> guinea pigs are pretty high energy. Let's see. Oh, no. I mean, they are. I've had one. Yeah. yeah. I have owned a guinea pig. They are very high energy. They're definitely up there. And they, they keep you up all night. Oh, like that. Yes, very like that. It's okay. I've guinea pig. the character on the show now. Wait, guinea pigs and hamsters are not the same. No, this I know. I was trying to say that guinea yeah. pigs and hamsters are equivalent animals. Okay, but see also. It does say. Durable. Yeah, but here's the thing. All these tiny little rodents that you keep in your house, they I don't think that we can necessarily distinguish them that easily. But it says guinea pig energy is soft, warm, and comforting. It sounds like a low rumbling hum. The flow of running water and gives you a sense of calmness. It feels like a loving caress against your cheek. Oh, that's I very know. sweet. This book is a little bit ridiculous, but it's I a little it. bit silly, but it's you know what though? Like this is a cryptid podcast. What are we on here to do if not talk about things that are like sound maybe silly but are also fun and nice and good? So yeah, exactly. And fun and nice and good is kind of what um, what I wanted to represent here on behalf of the cryptids. Oh yes, because go ahead. We've received a little bit of criticism, a little bit of warranted criticism a on our Twitter bit of account. Cryptidism. Yes, Andrew. Never mind. No, no, please. Cryptidism is maybe perfect. Cryptidism? Basically, uh, pointing out, rightfully so, that our show tends to lean pretty heavily in the favor of the human perspective. And we have not really had Mm -hmm. anyone to advocate for the side of the cryptids, um, so to speak. So, uh, Jess is here as sort of Mm -hmm. an ambassador to cryptid kind. I am your Borderlands witch here to tell you why humans (laughs) suck and cryptids are great. (laughs) Please, uh, I was going to say, before I dive into some of the stuff I found on the basilisk in my research, I would love to hear what your book has to say about the basilisk. The basilisk? Yeah. 
Um, okay, so here's what we basically, it says basilisk. It doesn't have the, it just says basilisk, is the legendary serpent with a white mark on its head that resembles a crown and was considered the king of all serpents. That's awfully gendered. Yeah. Most mythology describes the basilisk as a small state snake that is extremely venomous. Um, a lot of this stuff we know from Harry Potter. Let's skip to the cool parts. Um, it represents the elements of air and earth. Its primary colors are black, green, and yellow, which I guess makes sense from a Harry Potter perspective. Um, when basilisk appears, it means there is a new leadership opportunity coming your way. You have charisma, and people are drawn to your inner strength and intense personality. Mm. You are a natural leader filled with self-confidence and high self-esteem, but not so much that you come across as a know-it-all. So it goes on to tell you all of the things that um, it tells you the traits you have when you see a basilisk. I'm not sure that I necessarily buy into that. I kind of like this other section that it has that tells us when the basilisk is helpful. Okay. And so it says um, the basilisk assists when... You need to boost your self-confidence or raise your self-esteem. Everyone goes through times when they feel like they're not at 100%. If you're going through a time like this, Basilisk can give you a big boost in both areas. Basilisk moves forward with its head and body held high. It looks above to see all that is in its path. This is a sign for you to do the same. Let go of any doubts you may have that are pulling you down so you can rise up and go forward with poise and self-assurance of your own worth. Visualize the powerful, positive spirit with, within you and let that part of you go forth into the world. That's so nice. See, basilisks are great. Okay, well... I don't care if they can kill you by looking at you because... <laughs> I was going to say, it's a very it's a very Shakespearean <laughs> cryptid because it's saying you're going to hold a position of great power, but only if you don't die first. It's very wholesome and pure, and I really Is like it. Is it wholesome? Yeah, I think I think I should get one it's of the pets. It's nice. encouraging. It's like, yes, it's nice. It's like a Care Bear that if you look at it, you die. Exactly. It's the, I don't know how many Care Bears there are, so I can't say which number it is. I can't be like, it's the Forgotten Sixth. I don't know how many Care Bears there are. the colors of the rainbow, right? I have no idea you are asking the wrong person. I've always found the Care Bears to be a little bit creepy. I I don't really know. Says the person who runs a cryptid podcast. (laughs) Okay, well, um, I've never read any accounts of bears with strange symbols on their chests that preach about happiness and sharing and friendship. I just... (laughs) I think they have to have an insidious agenda. I think they... Well, some of them are a bit cranky, right? Isn't there, like, a storm cloud one? I think there are, like, anger bears. Like, angry bears. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Are there the... Oh, really quick before I dive into my research um, that I did on the subject. Because the basilisk has become so very much linked with Harry Potter, though I will discuss why the portrayal in Harry Potter was uh, very much stained by the touch of Hollywood and not a very accurate portrayal. Like, definitely not an achievable beauty standard for basilisks out there. I was going to say, so they're just experiencing what women experience. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's so intrinsically linked with Harry Potter, I do think we should go ahead and say our Hogwarts houses. Because I've mentioned mine on the show before. On the Wampus Cat episode, Alex and I talked about our houses with Stephen Ray Morris, and I am a Hufflepuff. And I was wondering what you two are. I am a Ravenclaw, and I'm ashamed to say that it was only yesterday, my last name is Clausen, that I realized... That Ravenclawson totally works. And now it's my Instagram handle, everybody. Amazing. Yeah, follow Jess on Instagram. Mm-hmm. All right, Andrew, what's your house? I am also a Hufflepuff. I but, thought it was Hufflepuff. Oh, yeah. uh, when I took the Pottermore quiz, it literally gave me a choice between Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff and Slytherin. You chose Hufflepuff. I chose Hufflepuff. You chose, yeah. So I have a, pulled from a wide variety of sources. The final source I'm going to hit on today is my most impressive source, so I'm going to save that one for last because it's I always get very excited when I find uh, things from genuinely like widely considered to be reputable sources because it's rare for me to come across that doing this kind of research, so I get very excited. So I'll save that. But to start, I want to give a basic overview and, and Jess did already touch on some of this. That book covered a lot of this, but a basic overview of the Basilisk from Cryptopia which is a place I want to go. Um, (laughs) But according to legend, there are two different species of the basilisk. There are two varieties, rather. There is the first variety was capable of burning everything it approached. And the second was known for its ability, and this is the one you know, to kill an opponent with nothing more than a glance. Both species were said to exude fumes, which were so noxious and infested with pestilence that their breath alone could wilt vegetation and even disintegrate stone. Well, then I can't have that. I want you to no. know right now I just, like, kind of checked my breath. 
make mm -hmm. sure to make sure that you're not going to disintegrate stone or wilt vegetation. Right. Exactly. I have I have an awful lot invested in my garden, and I have kind of a ridiculous rat collection. So it'd be pretty sad. Yeah, that would be really sad if your rat collection Maybe I can't, maybe I can't have a pet bas basilisk. You could train it to withhold like a skunk that had its scent glands removed. Yeah. Yeah. Only um more about self control, you know. That's an important thing to learn. Self-control is an important it's part trait. of self-confidence, yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was commonly believed that if a man on horseback should try to slay a basilisk with a spear, the potency of its toxic breath would kill not only the rider, but his horse as well. So no! if the man is not on horseback, then his breath just doesn't... No. no, it would just kill the man, because there's no horse to die. I know, it's kind of a weird way to put it. It's like, if there's a horse there, the horse will also die. Yes, well, probably. Yes. Probably, but what about the hounds? Will the hounds also die? <laughs> I don't know, probably. They've left, a lot, they've left a lot open here. I don't know. I don't know. I would assume... I don't think... I, I, don't think, I think... I like my mm -hmm. horse, too. I know, I know. Good, mm. You're Kelpie. Here's yeah. the thing. Unlike a lot of the uh, creatures that I select on this show... There haven't been any sightings of the basilisk in, like, several centuries, so most of what I touch on is going to be pretty vintage. <laughs> like, like beyond vintage. Throwback. Um, yeah, into, like, the, the 500s era. So, just a very, very big throwback Thursday of a cryptid. So, bear with me, because some of these accounts are going to be in English that is a little bit rusty or a little bit... Uh, Dusty, I should say, instead. Like a little, it's gonna be old. It's may, gonna sound strange. Except the Harry Potter. Group. May I request mm -hmm. an accent? You may. I cannot promise I will deliver. Um, you'll see. Okay. What is it? What accent do you want? Just like an old. He just wants an old timey accent. You want an old timey accent? Yeah. All right. So, the also the basilisk. There is some murky stuff in reports of the basilisk. First of all, a lot of these sources are very old, so they become very murky and very strange because it's hard to discern whether stuff is being used to talk about it metaphorically or whether it's supposed to be a genuine account. Then there's also the fact that old-timey people were bad at identifying stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, like how a bunch of people ate mushrooms in Salem, Massachusetts, and then thought that witches were trying to destroy their community. Or how people would see dinosaur bones and assume it was a dragon. Or how people... I'm sorry, wait, what? what? Are Dragons you saying are real. That Thank you. I'm sorry, okay. Andrew. Dragons are real. My point being... Um, Tears were rolling in his eyes. Everybody. I know. My point being, it's hard to see detail during the Dark Ages. So, because uh, everything's in the dark. You know, it's a fun joke about lighting. But my point is, there's a lot of weird crossover between the basilisk and other folklore. So you will occasionally see the basilisk referred to as the cockatrice and vice versa. So there is a lot of weird crossover between that creature and the basilisk. So some of these are subject to debate. For example, um, reportedly one that was encountered in a Roman vault in the chapel of St. Lucia during the time of Pope Leo IV, somewhere between 847 and 855 AD. Although the details surrounding the story are few, it was said that the vile breath of the basilisk so fouled the air that numerous deaths were attributed to the beast. Legend has it. Now here's how the basilisk is born. If you ever wondered how babies are made, this is how babies are made. Gather around children. The basilisk <laughs> is spawned from a spherical yolkless egg, which must be laid during the waning days of the dog star Sirius by a seven-year-old rooster. The by egg... The, wait, the waning days of the what? The dog star Sirius. Okay. Um, by huh. a seven-year-old rooster. The egg, once abandoned by its mother must then be hatched by nothing less than a common toad. So there's a lot of steps here. Seven-year-old uh -huh. rooster, specific time of year, lays an egg. I mean, a rooster doesn't lay an egg, first of all. I was all, wondering about that. I was a little curious, but a rooster maybe, doesn't you know. Lay an egg, but you know what? I should stop making assumptions. I don't know anymore. Honestly, if an egg is being hatched by a toad and there's no yolk and it's a snake... The rooster is maybe the least of our yes, problems. Yes, it's the least yeah. of our worries. Um... So, 16th century scientist Ulysses Aldrovandus seemed to concur with um, Pliny the Elder, who has an account that I will talk about later, but if you have ever listened to the podcast Sawbones... I was going to say, I know. You, I know have, heard, you have heard about Pliny the Elder. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of ideas about a lot of stuff, and he of was opinions. often wrong. Yep. Um, but... Uh, Ulysses Aldrovandus uh, concurred with his assertions uh, on the basilisk, which I will discuss later, but... Uh, they had a lot of things in common, but this is... Now here comes the accent for this particular gentleman, Ulysses Aldrovandus. The basilisk is known as the king of serpents, not for his magnitude or greatness, with an E on the end, for there are many serpents <laughs> bigger than he, as there are many four-footed beasts. 
bigger than the lion, but because of his stately pace and magnanimous mind, for he creepeth not on earth like other serpents, but goeth half but goeth half upright, for which all other serpents avoid his sight. So the basilisk, what that's saying is doesn't move on the ground like a fun uh like a fun ground like living noodle you know how snakes are i love snakes you know like how they're like noodle friends yeah, yeah. they're like danger noodles yeah um this guy moves much more like a cobra so he stays a, like a like like lifted up like the torso like the not torso snakes right. don't have a torso but half of his body being like lifted up to like look you in the eye um, Did you see the video of the cobra swimming in a swimming pool? Yes. It's amazing. Yes. So that's what I'll be picturing for the rest of this episode. Um, what I would encourage everyone to picture the basilisk as is that, or if you've seen the video of the <laughs> snake in the water that's being voiced by like a French person, just giving it a French accent, mm-hmm. and it's like, I am a snake. Um, mm-hmm. It's that one. Yeah, it's great. So now the basilisk does have some enemies, some natural enemies. I We always like to cover survival tips on here, and it's been a long while since I've had an actual survival tip to offer, because this one actually will kill you. It can and it will. Um, now, here are the ways to counteract the basilisk. Much like the cobra fears the mongoose, the basilisk is said to have fallen victim more than once to its own deadly nemesis, the weasel. Yes. Also, the sound of a rooster Looks crowing. Like a the sound of a rooster crowing is supposed to cause a fatal reaction in the creature, which, since it was born of a rooster, has yeah, some I, I really, yeah, interesting implications. Yeah. There has some, some really, I was going to say, has here. some weird reverse Oedipal implications. Yeah. Where you're killed by your mother instead of killing your father. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, a little bit more about uh, supposed... A little bit more about, like, suppose there were a lot of supposed uses for the basilisk. Now, I don't believe in using, I don't, I think poaching is wrong. I don't care how deadly an animal is. I think poaching is wrong, so I do not uh, endorse this. But according to the Cryptids Wiki, Theophilus Presbyter gives a long recipe in his book for creating a basilisk to convert copper into Spanish gold. The compound was formed by combining powdered basilisk blood, powdered human blood, red copper, and a special kind of vinegar. So there's a lot of um, sound science linked to the basilisk. Um, They're linked to alchemy in a lot of other ways. They're also supposedly, according to, oh, Lord, Albertus Magnus in in the De Animalibus wrote about the killing gaze of the basilisk, but he also wrote about the idea that the basilisk's ashes could convert silver into gold. And um, legends of the basilisk were linked to alchemy in the 13th century. So... Basilisks, to be fair, they're deadly, but they have been subject to poaching, and I think we can all agree that poaching is wrong. Poaching is wrong. Poaching is wrong. Yes. I don't care how mean the snake is or how many people it's killed with its mean with its stinky breath and its no. face. You should not poach them to turn silver into gold, which seems like a weirdly anticlimactic transition. Mm-hmm. What were you expecting? Well, turning, I, really I mean, like, turning like chalk powder into yeah, gold you, might or be you, yeah, you like make gold out of something that isn't already valuable. Okay, so let's say that you turn something valuable into something else. What other thing would you say? So, if we're starting with silver, starting with silver, what would impress you? If we're turning chalk powder into gold, we need a similar kind of silver into what object is is comparable? Um, one second. This is this is worrying. There we go. Uh, I was worried it was going to stop recording. Sometimes it it freaks out. Okay, silver into. I mean, I would take I would take nothing less than like you know what I think the real money is in often I think the best investment is real estate. So I think unless that silver is turning into the deed to some kind of property, I don't have any interest in it because the gold standard is failing more and more and more over the years as the economy declines. I was going to say corgi puppies. Oh, that's better. <laughs> that's much better and nicer. I was literally going to say cornbread. So. Cornbread. <laughs> A good choice. Well, um, Andrew, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but you can already exchange silver for cornbread. Yeah, but it's a lot easier. You can it's already... through alchemy. <laughs> It's easier to find a basilisk. <laughs> you can already exchange it. Now, there is... Go to I do have a quick theory. Like, um, I, I'm going to put on my scully lab coat for a second and present a theory as to what my, this, this creature might have been that is not the basilisk. Like, because contrary to the portrayal in Harry Potter, much like women are portrayed in the media as being a lot smaller than they tend to actually be on average, the basilisk was portrayed opposite way as being 
way larger than they're supposed to be. The basilisk is only supposed to be about a foot long at most. What? It is not supposed to be big. I feel so lied to. Uh, Yeah, Plenty of the Elder talks about that. I will go into that some more. So the prevailing theory about the basilisk is not that it was a basilisk at all, but that it was, in fact... um, a king cobra. Cobras maintain an upright posture. They're often killed by mongooses or mongeese. The king cobra has a crown-like symbol on its head, which is also attributed to the basilisk. And there are species of spitting cobras that incapacitate from a distance by spitting venom, most often into the prey's eyes, which could be confused with having breath that injures. There's only one way to figure kills. out, though, if what? this is a basilisk. What? Is to try to convert it into corn. <laughs> Oh, God. You're right. There's only one way. Can you practice alchemy with it? I'm just imagining. You said practice alchemy with it. So I'm imagining it like drawing the it's your circle. Wearing it's a your lab partner. coat. Yeah. It's your partner. Here's the thing. It's, it's body gets ripped apart and you have to put its soul into a giant metal yeah. suit of armor. Oh, that's a different thing. It's alchemy. It's a full metal alchemy. That is the one alchemy reference I have. Oh, no. So here's the thing. I am nothing if not a traditionalist, so I truly believe that the this is clearly sound science because I also always use leeches on myself whenever I'm sick and I know that every illness I have is because of an imbalance of my four humors. So clearly, uh, if we take a cobra... Yeah, that's just science. <laughs> that's just science, you guys. If like, we take a cobra, like, we let's, yeah. at it, it'll turn into cornbread. <laughs> yeah, let's be real for a second, you guys. Like, I know we're all fun and games here, but we need to talk science, like hard science. <laughs> we need to... Make sure you know how to permaculture those cobras. Exactly. Uh Um, Now, of course, we talk about the cobra as an option because there is, according to unknownexplorers.com and other sources, technically no physical evidence to prove the existence of the basilisk, which would make sense since everyone who's ever seen its face is dead. Um, Mm. So. It's a little bit like the DeLorean that doesn't work if you're there. Exactly. Uh, Now, there are three descriptions of the basilisk, according to unknownexplorers.com. Apparently, it can be described as a huge lizard. A giant snake or a three-foot-high cockerel with a snake's tail and teeth. See, these all sound like completely different animals because the traditional basilisk does not look like any of those things. So I don't know how much credence you want to give that. But now here is the part I have been the most excited. I did find, while many quote-unquote reputable cryptid sites claim that there have not been any basilisk sightings since the Middle Ages, Reddit has come along to prove them because I have found for you, I have cultivated two separate sightings from reddit.com. I will not read the usernames because I'm not trying to, um, like, draw attention to people for sharing their experiences on the internet. Um, But I will tell you that they are from two separate users on two separate forums for discussing the supernatural on Reddit. So the first one is is a very short set, a very short sighting, uh, possibly written by a child, uh, because (laughs) um, it just, you'll see. Uh, Now, this is basilisk sighting. So, those of you who don't know what a basilisk is, it's a big green snake with a forked tongue, venomous fangs, and glowing yellow eyes. Rumor has it that if you look straight in its eyes, you die, and if you look in its eyes in a mirror, you get paralyzed. Sounds like Harry Potter. So, let's get into the sighting. I was at my school, and I started seeing a green face with yellow eyes popping up out of the ground. I did not look straight into it. Later, the leaves started moving when I was doing gym outside. It was November 7th, 2016. Three other kids saw it. So, that's how I know it's a child, because they were at school with other kids in 2016. 16. So this child saw a basilisk and then they went on Reddit to tell us all about it and they lived, which is great. Leaves yeah. never move. Leaves never move. Outside so in the fall. I can't think of any other creature with green face and yellow eyes, so I don't know what else it could have been. This child saw the I, face yeah. and eyes, but didn't look at the face and eyes? I don't know what you're having well, trouble think... with here, Inch. <laughs> I don't <laughs> well, know what's such a problem. Do you die if you look at it or if it looks at you? So maybe mm. the kid, maybe the basilisk had its glamour working on some, no. uh, someone else. Well, some of the legends say if you see its face, you die. And some of them say you only die if you make eye contact with it. So there's a lot of inconsistent mm. stories there, which is the problem with legends that have been around since uh, before we knew what blood was. Yeah, you know. I can see how a few theories would get cooking. Now, here's another Reddit sighting. This one is much longer and much more in depth, and I find it very interesting and often and actually rather creepy. Leaves moving. This um, one too. There are no leaves because this one occurred <laughs> in Daytona Beach, Florida, which is there where I'm inclined there are to trees. believe it. There are no leaves. Yeah, there's no leaves in Daytona Beach, Florida. But also, no, I know. I'm inclined to believe balls. anything. Yeah, I'm inclined to believe anything weird that happens in Florida. That's so, that's legit. I'm from Florida. So yeah, six generations. 
So you can mm-hmm. uh, you can attest. No leaves. Okay, so here we go. No leaves. <laughs> there's no leaves and there's lots of snakes. So, and now I skipped ahead. Like, this was a very lengthy sighting. There was a lot of backstory. So I skipped ahead to the actual uh, active moment of the sighting. So this is them talking about, okay, seeing something emerging from the dark into the light while they were out at night on the beach. So... At first, I thought it was a runner on the beach, but the gait and the locomotion were all wrong. And furthermore, it was moving incredibly fast on sand that makes sprinting impossible. I stopped and looked at it directly. I felt no emotion but confusion. I could not understand what I was looking at. And this is the most difficult, puzzling part of the story. Not being able to physically comprehend what you see. When you see a table, you don't just see the table. You also have a concept of table. You understand the constituent parts that make up the table. It's immediately recognizable. But what if your brain just didn't do any of that? What if you saw something your brain couldn't conceptually decipher? How could you even know what that's like if it's never happened to you? And I should say as a brief aside that this is one of my favorite parts of cryptid sightings when people talk about this because it always allows me to talk about aliens because this is how anyone who's ever had an alien encounter, particularly with like a gray, describes it as your brain just shutting down because it's so alien to you. It's no pun intended. It's so different. Your brain just can't like you. There's nothing identifiable or recognizable about it. So you just like shut down. Um, Anyway, and that's what was running at me. I say running, but I should say moving. There was no human locomotion, no arms pumping, no legs charging. Any words I use to describe this sight are after-the-fact creations of a mind desperate to close a void of understanding. Nevertheless, imagine something like a long black dress, like an organic wedding dress made from the Venom symbiote in Spider-Man. Organic wedding dresses now? Yes, made from the Venom symbiote in Spider-Man. Well, it sounds like they just answered the or- their own question about what it is. Are you saying it's it? the Venom symbiote from Spider-Man. It's my favorite Spider-Man villain. Hmm. Okay. Spider-Man 3 reboot. Spider-Man 3 reboot. Spider-Man 3 was so bring, bad, I needed Bring back, back Tobey Maguire. <laughs> no, not that part. Gross. <laughs> not with the hair and the... Just recast. The hair and the weird jazz dancing. Um, <laughs> anyway, it had an almost liquid texture, moving and roiling and bubbling across the surface of whatever I was looking at. There was no face or mouth, but it was screaming. That's taking some liberties. That's very, I have no mouth, but I must scream, literally. Um, from the top of this thing, there was a mass of coiling tentacles that moved independently. Hold, what? Again, hmm? I'm really losing losing the plot here. That doesn't sound like a basilisk, Shh, though. there's more. Oh, oh boy. Sorry. Okay, continue, please. Again, all of this description is a gross, ugly approximation of something I genuinely could not comprehend. As it moved across the sand at a terrific rate, I silently watched it speed toward me without moving. I probably looked at it for five to ten seconds before I decided to run away. This decision was entirely rational. A flowchart had popped up in my internal cognitive interface, and it quickly came to the conclusion, unknown thing looks like possible threat. Sorry, probable threat. Run away. I felt no fear. I just sprinted away. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Basically, they run from this thing and they run all the way up the beach uh, to steps of the hotel and then they turn around to find nothing there. So they went back to the hotel, explained to their friends, and they wrote down the account as clearly as they could while the memory was fresh. Now, they kind of thought it sounded like a Lovecraftian sort of thing. Now... Recently, they found a science fiction story that describes a similar phenomenon. David David Langford wrote a short story titled B-L-I-T, Blit, about a setting where dangerous types of images called basilisks exist, which contain Uh, patterns uh. that exploit flaws in the structure of the human mind that crashes our cognition like a computer. So it's just another aspect of the basilisk thing. While I'm not dead, my continued ability to process that moment feels like my brain crashed. It's not the only time in my life when something like this happened. Now, the reason I bring this one up, even though it sounds very, very different from the basilisk mythology, is because there is so much talk of paralysis in basilisk sightings and basilisk encounters and the idea of your brain crashing or like your hard drive needing to reboot when you encounter this thing because it's very strange or alien or has a factor to it that you can't quite register Mm -hmm. does seem to link into paralysis very well for me or just looking at it being something that could harm you flash flood warning in this area till 2 15 a.m victoria just texted me about it also apparently the basement's pretty flooded did she go back there yeah She had to pick up Luke because apparently the flooding there is bad. She said it was up to their, like, shins. We have a guest room if you guys need somewhere to stay. No, it's fine. Okay, I just want you guys to be safe. Okay. Beep! 
That's how I know later that that was the thing I need to edit out so the people don't hear us be worried about the weather. Um, so... Just a side thing, also just because I really love pulling accounts from Reddit because they're always written in a way that is very entertaining. Uh, it's just a, it's just a something. It's just a something. If you have any theories about what this person saw, actually, that is not a basilisk, I would love to hear them. Do you have any ideas that you think it might be? Venom hmm. symbiote. Venom symbiote, you're right. Um, like, I, I really lost track of our description here, but it kind of sounds like maybe a plastic bag was blowing <laughs> Like a, like a, you know, like a trash bag was I blowing mean, along, along the surface of the sand, which, I mean, like, love you Daytona Beach, but that's totally a thing that could happen. That's fair. That's fair. Or, and do or you what if, what if there was like a jellyfish or some other... A jellyfish running at them on the beach? It was in the water, yeah? It was like sort no. of on the edge of the surf? So it was on was, the sand. It was on the sand. I'm very afeard. <laughs> I'm very afeard of this concept. I'm very scared of jellyfish. I don't know if you know that. I did not. Apologies. I'm, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just like... Well, I just... I think, I think that, you know, so I believe in all kinds of wacko stuff, but I tentacles. also... I can also be a skeptic. You're right. Tentacles. Tentacles. Jellyfish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or a plastic bag. Or it actually doesn't sound terribly, terribly off if it was traveling somewhere off course. Uh, it doesn't sound super different from the Snallygaster. I was going to say. Yeah, actually. which we touched on in a previous mm-hmm. episode, which mm-hmm. does but have a lot of tentacles. Tentacle yeah, it does have a lot of tentacles and does ambulate in a very weird way. I mean, was it winter? Because maybe the Snallygaster just is a snowbird. Oh, I And went down to yeah. Daytona to, you know, avoid the cold Maryland winter times. Oh, you're so right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that Always makes thinking. total sense. Mm-hmm. So... Probably not a basilisk, but they included the word basilisk, and I wanted to talk about it because it was an interesting thing, and also any excuse to talk about weird stuff happening in Florida, because there is a plenty. Yeah, Um, literally every day. Every single day. Mm -hmm. So, my final source on the subject comes from Smithsonian Magazine. What's up? An article by Mike Dash called... His, uh, called On the Trail of the Warsaw Basilisk. So a basilisk in Warsaw, Poland in the 1500s. Now, there's a lot more backstory before I get into the Warsaw Basilisk. So just come along with me for the ride. And if you have things to say, please interrupt me because I will talk forever. Uh, and that's always just kind of my general rule. Like, stop me when you have thoughts. Because uh, I won't stop. I'll just, <laughs> just keep going. Perpetual motion machine of talking too much okay good for a podcaster (laughs) Eh, that's what i thought that's what i like to think the earliest description of the basilisk was given by plenty the elder here we go Mm -hmm. who described the monster in his pioneering uh natural history which is his text that he wrote in 79 a.d the 37 volumes of this masterpiece were competed were completed shortly before their author was suffocated by sulfurous fumes of Vesuvius while investigating the eruption that consumed Pompeii. Damn. It's a rough way to go out. Yeah. Uh, Plenty of the Elder made some, like, really bogus calls on stuff, but he didn't deserve that. So, according to the Roman writer, it was a small animal, not more than 12 fingers in length, but astoundingly deadly. I only have 10. Well, I have two. Okay. <laughs> so, like this, like this or ways, like the other, or the other like way. we have to stack or like line up fingers. Here's by the finger thing about Pliny the Elder: is he doesn't <laughs> give us a lot of detail. I don't have any. He didn't draw a diagram. He said twelve fingers, and that's all I have for you. I'm just trying to think, like, sort of like know, also like, everyone's fingers are different sizes. End, I don't or... know. Yeah. Um, but astoundingly deadly. He does not. Okay, sorry. Wait, voice. He does not impel his body like other serpents by a multiplied flexion, Pliny added, but advances loftily and upright. He's Roman. I don't know why he sounds like this. Um, mm, British casting. It was a description. <laughs> You're right. Why are gladiators always British in movies? It was a... Uh, sorry, it scrolled up. I lost myself. One second. I mean... It was a, oh, it was a description that accorded with the then popular notion of the basilisk as the king of serpents. Again, with the king thing, it's very, whatever. Patriarchy. Authority problems. It is, it is. According to the same mythology, it also kills the shrubs, not only by contact, but also by breathing on them and splits rocks. Such power of evil is there in him. It's a little Yoda. The basilisk (laughs) was thought to be native to Libya, and the Romans believed that the Sahara had been fertile land until an infestation of basilisks turned it into a desert by killing all of the vegetation. That's really interesting. Yeah. 
Hmm. It's an interesting theory, and I like it. It is. Now, by far the best known of all basilisk accounts is the strange tale of the Warsaw Basilisk in 1587, which one sometimes sees cited as the last of the great basilisk hunts, of many apparently there were great basilisk hunts, and the only instance of a historically verifiable encounter with a monster of this sort. The origins of the story have hitherto been rather obscure, but one of the fullest accounts of the celebrated and interesting incident uh, is recorded by Bondison. And it talks about, the account goes thusly. The five-year-old daughter of a knifesmith named, oh boy, uh, Macaropius? Macaropius? No, you got Latin. it in one. Macaropius? Yeah, let's go with that. Macaropius had disappeared in a mysterious way together with another little girl. The wife of... You know the guy, I said his name, went looking for them <laughs> along with the nursemaid. When the nursemaid called, call, when the nursemaid looked into the underground cellar of a house that had fallen into ruins 30 years earlier, she observed the children lying motionless down there without responding to the shouting of the women. Oh dear. The maid went down the stairs to find out what had happened. Before the eyes of her mistress, she sank to the floor beside them and did not move. The wife wisely did not follow her down into the cellar because she would survive a horror film, but ran back to spread the word about the strange and mysterious business, and the rumor spread like wildfire, like wildfire through Warsaw. Many people thought that the air felt unusually thick to breathe and suspected that a basilisk was hiding in the cellar. And really quick, I do love this idea because the idea of poison air or like the miasma, like as the way disease and like illness and badness spread was so prevalent during this time period that the basilisk having the idea of poison breath and poison air just makes so much sense with the way that medicine and sickness was perceived that just makes me, it just makes me excited. Um, Cause they thought that all disease was airborne and not just was airborne. They didn't have concept of germs. It was the air itself. Like it was a bad it just, air. It, it was evil yeah. air. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the Senate was called into an emergency meeting. An old man named Benedictus, I can say that one, uh, was consulted <laughs> since he was known to possess much knowledge about various arcane subjects. The, bo- the bodies were pulled out of he the was cellar. also a Ravenclaw. Yes, he was. Probably. With l- the bodies were pulled out of the cellar with long poles that had iron hooks at the end, and Benedictus examined them closely. They presented a horrid appearance, being swollen like drums, with much discolored skin. The eyes protruded from the sockets like the halves of hen's eggs. Benedictus, who had seen many things during his 50 years as a physician, at once pronounced the state, right? For the 1500s? At once pronounced the state of the corpses an infallible sign that they had been poisoned by a basilisk. When asked by the desperate senators how such a formidable beast could be destroyed, the knowledgeable old physician recommended that a man descend into the cellar to seize the basilisk with a rake and bring it out into the light. To protect his own life, the man would wear a dress of leather furnished with a covering of mirrors facing in all directions. Ooh. So it's it's very Medusa-like. It's very Lady Gaga meets Perseus. Uh-huh. You know? Um, but the rake is a little anticlimactic. Yeah, the rake is, but I do love the dress of mirrors. Mm -hmm. Benedictus did not, however, volunteer to try out this plan himself. What? Yeah. Also. Of course. Another sign that maybe he threw it So, (laughs) they sent in... Oh, this is terrible. Um, They sent in a convict uh, who had been sentenced to death for robbery, Johann Farrer, uh, was at length persuaded to make the attempt on the condition that he be given a complete pardon if he survived. So back then, we're still we're using prisoners for fodder for things we don't mm-hmm. want to do. Mm-hmm. So some things never change. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> that got real for a second. So was dressed in the black leather covered with massive mirrors. Yes, covered with the massive mirrors, and her his eyes were protected by glasses, large ref, like reflective eyeglasses, so that he. The basilisk would, if it looked him in the eye, would look into its own eyes as well. Um, so he was armed with a rake and a torch. Rake. I think I'm, they must mean a pitchfork. See, I'm just imagining... I don't... Yeah. I'm imagining, like, a rake in the sense, like, a guy who likes to go and uh, <laughs> just hang out. Like a rake like his hat. Yeah, yes. like his hat's at a jaunty angle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He goes in with a rake. <laughs> It really improves the narrative. It does. I just also think that there's no way anyone ever carries anything with a torch that isn't a pitchfork. I don't believe it. So I think they mean a pitchfork. <laughs> this must be a translation error. But still, it's not like some super fancy silver-plated mm-hmm. dagger that they had to, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a common garden although, tool. Yeah, I was going to say, although, have you ever seen, like, uh, videos of, like, Steve Irwin dealing with snakes? Because he uses something kind of like that to, like, pick them up, like a little scoopy scoop. 
Yeah. And that's kind of what this guy does. He <laughs> scoops it by the neck uh, with the rake. And um, he believed that the sun's rays rendered its poison less effective. Benedictus did, I mean, not the not the the uh, ro- former robber who was performing this. Yeah, he's not there to think. No, apparently, he's, he's there, there to be to the muscle, do the dirty work. Now yep. he declared it was a basilisk. It had the head of a rooster, the eyes of a toad, a crest like a crown, a warty and scaly skin covered all over with the hue of venomous animals, which means to me it was brightly it's colored. Bright. Yeah. It's bright, yeah, and a but- curved tail. I don't know if I could reliably distinguish toad's eyes from rooster's eyes. Yeah, right? I'm trying to think this through. Uh, They're both so. kind of creepy, actually. Because toads have, like, the very large ones with the horizontal pupils, right? And roosters mm. have, like, regular-looking <gasps> human eyes. Roosters have creepy eyes. So I yes. think my mom might have encountered a basilisk finish, and then I will Wait. tell you what happened. Oh, okay. Hold that. Hold that yes. thought. Please, hold on to that for me. Okay, so... Um, the strange and inexplicable tale of the Basilisk of Warsaw ends here. None of the writers chronicling this strange occurrence detailed the ultimate fate of the deformed animal caught in the cellar. It would seem unlikely, however, that it was invited to the city hall for a meal of cakes and ale. Oh, Mike. Oh, my. Oh, Mike. The versatile Dr. Benedictus probably knew of some infallible way to dispose of the monster. So, the writer of this original, like, account, Bondison, a reliable and careful writer unusually gives no source for his account of the Warsaw Basilisk. And my own research, not mine, this author's, traced the story only as far back as the mid-1880s when it appeared in the first volume of Edmund Goldsmith's compilation, Unnatural History. This is a rare work, and I'm certainly not, justifi- not qualified to judge its scholarship, though there's no obvious reason to doubt that Goldsmith, a fellow of both the Royal Historical Society and the Scottish Society of Anti- Anti- Antiquaries, is a reliable source. According to Unnatural History, the Warsaw Basilisk was the... War- I can't talk anymore. I'm becoming paralyzed by the Basilisk, or, like, it's poisoning me slowly. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently. Um, the, according to Unnatural History, the Warsaw Basilisk was chronicled by one George Caspard Kirchmeier in his pamphlet On the Basilisk, 1691. Very self-explanatory. Goldsmith translates this work and gives us a few additional details. The implements used to recover the bodies in Warsaw were fire hooks. And Benedictus, in addition to being the king's physician, was his chamberlain as well. As for Farber, the conflict, the conflict, the convict, his whole body was covered with leather, his eyelids fastened down on the pupils with a ma- his eyelids fastened down on the pupils, a mass of mirrors from head to foot. And that's the end of the account of the most famous and most verified encounter with a basilisk of an entire town. So the Basilisk of Warsaw in the 1500s. That's pretty far from Libya. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Made a pretty long travel. Also from the the Smithsonian Magazine, which is very fun. Uh, And I love it when I can pull from sources that I actually, like, read on a regular basis. It Mm -hmm. makes me excited. Not that I don't read the Cryptus Wiki all the time, because I do, but... There, there might be a little bit of a higher standard of evidence for this. Exactly. There's yeah. a little bit, there's more uh, editors. It has to go through more uh, mm-hmm. layers, more filters, yeah. so to speak, you know. So what were you saying about your mom having encountered a basilisk? Okay, so so <laughs> it's this toad slash rooster slash snake thing that got me thinking about this. Okay. I'm wondering about how basilisks might be, uh, how they might be created now. Okay. And how maybe there, uh, maybe there's a bit of a basilisk shortage, and so they are the snakes of the world are working hard on becoming basilisks, right? Yeah. Because we got to raise the energy. Of course. So my mom lives on a farm, and it is not unusual to see any number of critters at any time of day or night. But she walked out onto her out her back door one evening, and there on the deck was a snake with a toad in its mouth. Now, my mom is a badass and cares not for anybody's manners or squeamishness. And so she picks up the snake and she pulls the toad out of its mouth. And the toad hops off like, whoa, that was nuts. And the snake gets real pissed and slithers away. But I kind of think that maybe what was happening there was an attempt at basiliskizing itself. Hmm. Yeah. Or at at the very least, it was perhaps bringing the toad back so it could sit on some eggs. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I need you. I need you to incubate these babies because I borrowed the neighbor's rooster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I Innovation. Think, I think, yeah, I think I think this might bear, uh, maybe I'll have a conversation with my mom. Absolutely. I'll post some follow-up in the Facebook group. Yes. yes. So, uh, additional survival type for the basilisk, as well as, uh, speaking of the, sorry, the Warsaw basilisk, I forgot to say, mirrors. 
mirrors. Mirrors, 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 mirrors. They're good for all kinds of things. They are. They really are. They bounce back all sorts of negativity. They really do. And you can also look in them and see stuff, which is great. (laughs) Like how cute you are. Yeah. Yep. You can you can look at yourself and be like, ah, you look great. Mm-hmm. Or you can put two mirrors up against each other and do that thing where it looks like they go back and forth forever and ever and ever, uh, which is a little stressful. I actually kind of don't like it, but it's neat. I would love to uh, just really quickly get kind of a sense from you guys of which incarnation of the basilisk not even do you think is the one that is real because like we know it's probably they're the, all real they're one they're all real but like which <laughs> one do you think is the best and which one would you have rather seen i personally would have maybe rather seen a different one of these more traditional takes in uh the harry potter portrayal mm-hmm. of the basilisk a la chamber of secrets sorry spoilers for a book that came out in like 1998 um <laughs> uh but so i would i was wondering which incarnation which iteration of the basilisk you two would each like to have seen on scene depicted on screen because you know we need diversity in the representation of basilisks on screen i just don't think it's fair to expect them to measure up to a standard that is completely unrealistic mm. it's a very very big snake that is a big snake mm. I like the idea of a snake with legs. It's one of the things that this book here talks about, that it is, some mythology says that Basilisk is an enormous creature that walks on legs. What? And so I would like to see, it doesn't necessarily have to be enormous, but I think I would like to see a snake that, you know, is walking around on on, on legs. On legs. And maybe with real big fangs, because I think that's cool. I personally think of snakes as just one long leg. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey, I found a picture for you. Snake with legs. Snake with legs. (laughs) Now you don't like it. No, that's a basilisk. Oh, I found one. There's these funny, (laughs) there's these fun lizards that look like snakes with little legs. They look like snakes with little tiny little legs that they kind of squoosh themselves along the ground. Um, I wonder if it's any easier to move like that. I doubt it. I think it's probably, yeah, it's probably easier to ambulate like snakes do where they like squiggle wiggle. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the technical term. Uh, I wonder if they have heads like the venomous snakes or the heads like the not venomous snakes. I don't know. Because but we're talking about the basilisk, like they, shooting yeah, its breath at you. Sometimes venom. it has a bird head. It doesn't bite you. No. Yeah. They're just different species. Maybe. True, Andrew. Which mm. one would you like to see depicted on screen? Uh, definitely the the plastic bag one that was in Daytona Beach. <laughs> I think that would be. The, I think the they best. already did that in oh, what was that movie called? Spider Man Three. <laughs> No, no, that horrible no. movie from a million years ago where the kid spends all this time filming a plastic bag, like waving around in the. Uh, Are you talking about American Beauty? Yes. That's cool. <gasps> oh, I was like, what movie has a plastic bag in it? There it is. <laughs> I, I barely, I definitely, I definitely do not think of American Beauty as the plastic bag movie, but you're right. Um, I was, I just, I was, I was thinking for a second. I was like, what movie is a, what is the plastic bag movie? It's, it's all I can think of. I love that. Um, amazing. Oh man. So I suppose I, oh man, I got some kind of, I got to have some kind of rating. It's not something I thought about. I didn't think about how to rate a basilisk. Hmm. They, I mean, they don't do snake shows. Let's do like a one out of seven for each Harry Potter book. <gasps> I like that. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was good. Okay, so a uh, scale of one to seven, one for each Harry Potter book. So seven out of seven Harry Potter books, or one out of seven <laughs> being the best, one out of seven Harry Potter books being the worst. From one being, uh, like, one out of seven Harry Potter books being, like, not so spooky, seven out of seven Harry Potter books being very spooky, like, but fun spooky. Um, mm. Where would you rank uh, the Basilisk? And you can pick its iteration, too. I know there are many, and it is varied uh, how spooky it is. And then I would also like a rating. I would also like a rating um, uh, from one to, t- one to ten hugs of how many hugs you would like to give to the Basilisk. Hmm. I would give it a goblet of fire out of seven. <laughs> Very good. Um, and a one to ten out of how many hugs? How many hugs? Is this like one is one hug and ten is ten hugs? Yes. You gotta it's give it basilisk. at least one hug. Yeah, I mean, Andrew mm-hmm. hugs are pretty great. 
Yeah. You gotta give it at least one hug, that's the rules. Yeah, True. that might be worth, like, one Andrew hug might be worth, like, I'd, ten just I'd hugs. Probably, I'd probably give it, like, maybe three hugs. That's nice. I was gonna say, for the purposes of this, let's just, like, go ahead and say he's, like, had, like, some mouthwash or something to tamp down the breath. Oh. Yeah, let's assume, okay. let's assume we're not gonna die yeah. hugging the basilisk. Oh, you gotta if we're be not careful, gonna die, yeah. then six out of ten hugs. How would you get three in if you were gonna die? <laughs> you know what, I'm like, all right, what do you... Just sneak up on him. Just yeah. sneak up on him. Just real fast. Real, real speed. That's how I like to hug people, too. <laughs> let's see. That's how you should hug a snake. Let's be real. Hmm. Hmm. So, for me with the cryptids, I feel a little bit more attached and drawn to the ones that are animals than I do the ones that feel more like humanoids. Also, the cat is jumping on my lap. I think that yes, she might there have she is. to say. Okay. Hi. Um, yeah, she has thoughts. Yeah. She would love to chase the danger noodle. So, I would think that as far as creepiness goes, because it is an animal, even if it's a bit of a difficult to define animal, I'm going to give it... A three out of seven Harry Potter books mm. on creepiness. Prisoner of Azkaban, all right. Yeah. That might, in some ways, be my favorite. Um, oh, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd, pr- I'd probably go for all ten hugs, because even if I do die, I mean, it's it's interesting. We have a lot of people on this show who are willing to go out petting or hugging animals. Yeah, I, I definitely count myself among those. I, mean, I understand. I Andrew and I have been discussing how many gifts I need to leave for the crows at my farm and stuff. I'm a little bit, uh, your cat is chewing on your dress. She is. Yeah. (laughs) She likes to chew on doorknobs. She wants her voice to be heard. I know. You should just say something. Mm -hmm. No, not right now. No, I I have very, uh, I have a very difficult time with running up to people and giving them hugs if they are not Andrew or Addison or Alex. Mm -hmm. But animals. Oh, man. All day. I am the one that sits at the quarter. In, at the party, petting the cat, mm-hmm. that is my brand. It's a good one. It's a good mm-hmm. brand to have. It's a solid brand and one that will never go out of style. It's recognizable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, I understand. Um, final question, final question. Obviously, the basilisk is some sort of danger noodle, but what kind of pasta is it? Well, if it's dangerous to me, it's any kind of pasta that contains gluten because I have celiac disease. <laughs> oh, fair. <laughs> so it's a regular pasta. Yep. I think it's a fusilli because it's got so many twists and turns. What's up? Ooh, I like that. It's a twirly-whirly kind of pasta. I was going to say it's um, it's a penny. Cause it's a penny. It's, I don't know. It's a tube. It's a tube. <laughs> exactly. That's it. him a tube. That's, that's the reason. Him so tube. that's, you know, uh, in terms of announcements, uh, the Cryptic Keeper store will be up in the next week. I promise you, stickers will be available for purchase. People have been asking about that. Getting together, I promise you, stickers are coming to be available for purchase. Give us your money, please. Um, and we will give you stickers in return, because that's how... Selling objects works. And Capitalism. You can turn your money, alchemy-like, into stickers. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Through the use of a basilisk. <laughs> you can turn cool silver into... But... <laughs> you can turn pixels representing money into <laughs> stickers. Um, put them on your basilisk scales. I don't know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Form a basilisk out of the stickers. <laughs> Form a basilisk out Take of the stickers. Take a photo, send it in. Take, and you won't get, get another sticker. Yeah, you won't get anything. <laughs> you'll get a prize of equivalent value. I don't know. You'll so, get my unending approval. Exactly. And that's honestly priceless. So... <laughs> Um, as a little sign-off stuff, as always, our music is by Andrew Giada. Spooky Beats. That's me. Um, and we are on Twitter at CryptKeepPod, C-R-Y-P-K-E-E-P-P-O-D. We are on Facebook at The Cryptid Keeper. We have a Facebook group for hanging out and talking about cryptids and cool stuff. That is The Cryptid Keeper Appreciation Group. We are on Patreon under The Cryptid Keeper, because, you know, it's the name of the show. And that is the whole... That is the whole damn thing, I think. So, as always, we hope we can keep you around. And you want to say it all together, guys? One, two, three. Stay Stay safe safe out out there. there!